Good day and welcome to the After Jet podcast with me, Aiden Law. For the vast majority of Jets, being an ALT or assistant language teacher is how we earn our living in Japan. And of course, it should come as no surprise that some of us will continue on into education as a career post Jet. So, in this episode, we speak to Anna Marie Prohaska, who works as an elementary school teacher for the Catholic Independent Schools in the port of Prince Rupert, British Columbia, in Canada. We talk about her career path from covering 35 schools in Japan to teaching on a boat for a year. So, again, my name is Anna Marie Prohaska, and currently I work as an elementary school teacher in Prince Rupert, British Columbia, which is up in the northwest coast of Canada, stones throw away from Alaska, and I teach grade two. In the JET program, I was a prefectural ALT, rotating 35 schools uh, in the surrounding uh, Sapporo region in Hokkaido. Mm -hmm. And I was there for one year. It was right after, or the, it was the same year as in 2011, so right after a 311 in Japan. So I went in July of that same year. And it was one of those things that at the time was um, definitely considered and talked about with the other Jets who were leaving from Toronto, which is where I'm originally from, um, mm -hmm. about whether or not we would be going. And then once we were there, we were all really happy that we made a decision to go and um, have a Jet experience. And I only yeah. ended up staying one year, but it was, it was really good overall. We'll talk about what you do now, uh, which you said you're an elementary school teacher, is that right? Yes. So did you always want to go into the teaching career or it was because of JET? Um, no, I actually wanted to be a teacher before I went to JET and it was after I had done my teaching degree and was looking for a job. And I thought that having a teaching degree and not finding a job right away, at least not one that I wanted full time uh, continuing that the JET program would be a good like entry level way to get used to working in a classroom, get used to the teaching or being part of a classroom community and with the bonus of being overseas in a foreign country with amazing mm. sushi and just like getting a really fantastic life experience at the same time. So did you thought like I'll just stay one year, get the, the experience and then explore my options or go back to further studies? Originally when I went, I was just like I could be gone for who knows how long because the the original working visas for three years with the possible extension for five and I was just like who knows I might not be back for a long time so I was fairly open-ended when I left and when I first arrived I was absolutely in love with everything of course yeah. like when you novelty is just fantastic everything is cool and interesting and fun and you just want to try it all and like oh yeah I'll do tea ceremony oh yeah I'll do everything you know just wanting <laughs> to get involved you're like I'll just try it all and I think so arriving in July, I think by the like by Thanksgiving in Canada is in October. So by October I was exhausted and tired and feeling frustrated. My ALT position was as a prefectural ALT, again rotating thirty-five schools. I wasn't making thirty five schools. Thirty five schools. Thirty five so, schools, isn't that normal? Um, well the thing is there were city ALTs, so who worked in the city of Sapporo. And then mm -hmm. prefectural ALTs are originally are hired by the Board of Education for Hokkaido, um, and they're doing like all the sort of schools in the surrounding region around Sapporo. So I was a prefectural ALT, not a city ALT, and so I was one of those people who would be doing those one-off visits to all those schools who mm -hmm. don't have a regular ALT. And so I would be visiting 
um, high schools and schools for students with special needs and schools for the deaf and schools just all over what? the place who might only get one or two visits a year. And so there was 35 on the list. Some of them I went to almost once a month and some of them I went to like once or twice in my entire time there. And so I found that in hoping to practice classroom etiquette and management and learning about how other classes and education systems run, that sort of one-off visiting was very frustrating because it was just um, sort of introductions every day, mm. all day. <laughs> so like you go to a school, you visit every class, you give your introduction seven times, and then you go to the next school another day, give your introduction, you know, five or six times, and go to another school the next day. And so I just found it exhausting. <laughs> you might have mentioned this, sorry, but uh, you, were there any schools where you were actually at for like a long enough period of time that you moved past the Chikoshokai stage? Not by much. <laughs> the, the, some of the schools that I was going to monthly, like once, you know, like maybe the first day I would go and like do my introduction for like three classes or four classes. The next time I would hit the next three or four classes. Um, and then maybe the third or fourth time I was there, start running them through some conversation or being the, the living tape recorder to help with dictation or pronunciation for conversation practice. And so I, I did get past but just barely and I only with a couple of classes in a few schools like if I had come in without a teaching background and looking to work on teaching skills I think it would have been fantastic because it was very laid back uh, it was very um, not stressful <laughs> which is really nice but it wasn't quite what I was looking for and so at the end um, of that first year I was just like you know what this isn't quite what I was looking for, where I want to be. Even though I was really, really excited to go over them, really thankful I had the opportunity, it didn't quite match up with what I had intended or what I had thought I was going to do. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that, especially if you had a career objective of being a teacher, like you said, um, that's definitely not very much of a good training uh, work experience. Was that, is that normal, 35 schools? I just can't get over, I just can't get over that. Like, <laughs> In Hokkaido, there are, um, again, there's lots of cities, and most of them will have uh, one or two ALTs. Sapporo being the biggest city, had, had many ALTs. Most of them were dedicated to the city, and so there might have been 15 or 20 Sapporo like, city ALTs. And mm -hmm. then originally, there were supposed to be five Hokkaido ALTs for the surrounding area around Sapporo. Um, but unfortunately, with... I guess the way things have been restructured in the past year or two it had gone from five to two. So it was me and one other person who were yeah. a prefectural ALTs for the Sapporo region. But then like in other cities and other towns and in Abashiri and Tamakamai and Kitani, like there was, there was lots of other ALTs and other smaller cities. But for that ring sort of region around Sapporo, like all the suburban small town areas within that hour commute, there was only two of us. And it used to be five, and if it had been five, we probably would have had, you know, six schools at most. So you mentioned that you, you went to several schools uh, that were special needs, and uh, in my time, I had uh, one special needs class in one of the schools I went to. Did you, do, did you have any training or experience with special needs? Minimal. I'd done a little bit, I used to work with Toronto Parks and Recreation uh, as a summer day camp counselor. 
And then during the year, I do after school programs and stuff on the weekends um, with like after school homework clubs and big, uh, like kitty uh, arts and crafts sessions and such. And so I had done a couple shifts every once in a while covering for a friend who did a, an after school youth program with young people with special needs. But I, at the time, was super uncomfortable and wasn't, had no training, was just covering a shift for a friend. And so going to, on visits um, to schools where a lot of the students were nonverbal and many non like minimally mobile, mm -hmm. I often felt very out of place and uncomfortable. Like I wasn't really sure what my role was or was supposed to be. And then to know how to best interact beyond being a friendly face, which sometimes also felt difficult um, when I felt so uncomfortable to try to keep a happy smile on. But it was it was definitely an interesting experience. And to see, I guess, just how much like care and compassion and dedication the workers who are there and the teachers who are there spend with these young people was, was definitely uplifting. But I also felt very awkward often. <laughs> When it came time to to make the decision whether or not to stay or leave Jet, was it a difficult decision? How did you arrive to your at your decision? I was somewhat torn, but then at the end, trying to figure out like, again for career wise where I saw myself going and taking into account how how drained and tired I was finding or how draining and how tiring I was finding the job. Like I found the Monday to Friday um, schedule quite intense. At the same time, like I loved living in Sapporo and it was a beautiful place and lovely other ALTs who were living nearby and it was, it was a lovely community. Um, but I found the work week was very exhausting. And so I loved the weekends. I found the work week so stressful that at the end is also not just career, but can I stay longer to just live for my weekends, mm. and for me, I, I, I decided not to. I, I mean, I probably could have. I was also really, really lucky in that while I was living um, in Sapporo, my, my ALT position and the housing, or the housing situation that I was in was highly subsidized, and I was able to save lots and to pay off my university loans in that one year. Um, so I was really, really happy. Like I had paid off my university loans, I had done a year in Japan, I had made a really great group of friends, I had got some experience in the classroom, it wasn't quite what I was hoping for, but like a lot of the things I hadn't expected to do in one year, um, and like the university loan part was a huge chunk of that, but my living expenses were so minimal because all my travel to all these places was subsidized, as was my um, apartment, that I'm like, mm. you know what, I did a lot for this year, I don't think I need to push through more just to save the money if my work week is so difficult, even if my weekends are fantastic. And so I was just like, you know what, I'll just go and hope for the best. Because I didn't have a job lined up and I didn't have any school lined up. And mm. so when I said I wasn't recontracting, it was a bit scary. So I was just like, I don't want to go home and live in my parents' basement either. <laughs> even yeah, if I have a little, even if I paid off my university debt, I still don't have any savings. So I don't know quite what I'm going to do. So it was, a, it was a bit of a challenge. And I know most of the people that I had met um, were not leaving after one year. Most of them were staying at least two, and I know a few stayed three. So if mm -hmm. I had stayed, there would definitely have been that friend circle who was staying with me who had also arrived the same time I did. So it was definitely a challenging decision. And 
in the end it worked out, but I could see it being very, very difficult for everybody. What, what happened, like uh, you said that you didn't have any schools or jobs uh, lined up after, so. <laughs> and so I came, well, when I finished my contract, it ended uh, July 31st, and I didn't want to go home right away. I still wanted to, to like use my time in Japan as much as I could a little longer. So I ended up couch surfing for a month off my friends who were going <laughs> back to work. And so yeah. I spent all of August just running around and visiting all the people I had met, um, trying to see as much of Hokkaido as I could, like mm. trying to go camping and just getting like as much sense as I could these last few weeks I had before I was going back to Canada. And so I really um, am happy that I had that time off of work um, to do that little extra bit of travel at the end. And so then when I did go home, it wasn't just like straight from work into stress about work. I felt I had like, that little vacation adventure moment mm. in between. Um, and when I did get home, it was, it was like living at my folks and trying to sort out what was next. And it was very stressful, uh, spamming my resume all over um, Canada, North America, the world, like just trying to find whatever next steps um, or options were available. And so I was home from the end of August and I didn't find something until um, the middle of October. Would you recommend that everybody who comes off the chat program basically just uh, take some time to to decompress, to debrief? I definitely would. I mean, I feel that beyond having some extra time at the end of my contract in Japan, when I came back to Toronto, I also took a couple of weeks um, to go visit some friends out of town just to get over the reverse culture shock that happens once you get back home because it is so strange. Or I felt so out of place and everyone I don't know, suddenly had big noses and did not know how to drive. You know, it was, just, it was so strange. I'm like, what, what happened? Why, you know, the, listening to the TV or the radio, I'm like, we sound so different. Like, what? This is not, oh. I found it really, really awkward. And the food, I was like, no. Although I was so happy to have cheese again. That was like fantastic cheese. But like, I took a while to readjust. I'm like, yeah, no, it was, it was interesting. So I think that it's nice to have, if you can, like if you can afford it, to have a couple of weeks or to have a, a month or so to just sort of like regroup, be gentle with yourself. It's like, you know what, this was an amazing experience and it's going to be hard to describe to other people who weren't there and to get used to that too. Um, yeah. Because I was like, oh, you in Japan. I'm like, yeah, like tell me about it. And you try and you're like, no, I don't think you're going to get it. But I'll, yeah, I'll do my yeah. best. <laughs> so. and how was the job hunting process for you? Um, and how did the JET program help or not help? Um, I think that once I started looking for jobs, the JET program was fantastic and that was very well known and very well recognized. So it's nice that I didn't go with an organization that isn't, you know, 30 years more experience and, you know, it, it's nice to go with an organization that, that does have that world recognition. And I think that it definitely adds something to a resume to say that you have done this, people automatically, or most of the time, will have an idea on what it is that you've done. So it does mm. you have experience. And for me, when I was looking, I was looking globally, but English-speaking world this time, um, because the culture shock, reverse culture shock, I was thinking, you know, globally, but, you know, with a little bit more uh, possibilities to actually teach in the classroom. And if I had the language, that would definitely make it more likely. And so I ended up getting a job in the UK, in mm. East London, 
working as a substitute teacher. And so I think the JET program helped in, or at least I assume the JET program helped in that selection process because they already saw that I'd done a year abroad, overseas, in a teaching situation that I was fine and everything was good and you know, like I didn't like run out after two months or whatever. So I think it probably does help to show that you do have that flexibility, adaptability, um, awareness and cultural appreciation of differences and you know, ability to, to work towards or work through challenging situations for a common goal. So, and East London was definitely another set of challenges, but completely different from Japan, which was nice in its own way, but also a challenge. The, did you tell them in the interview about the 35 schools and how in reality you didn't really get to do much of the lesson planning? Um, I, I mentioned it, but I don't think I played up the lack of lesson planning. It was more about how, if I was going to be going in as a substitute teacher, how it was sort of similar to what I've already done, because I'll, you know, walk into the room and you don't know anybody, and you're like, you know what, that's okay, yeah. we'll just follow whatever set lessons are there, and we'll make the day as yeah, exactly. You just take whatever comes. Like it's not, it's gonna not gonna phase you. You know, it's like to to all other ordinary like trainee teachers, you wouldn't last two seconds in our world. <laughs> or at least, like you know, I, I've at least I've had some experience on knowing how lost you can feel once you enter. <laughs> so. Yeah. Why the UK? Why not stay in Canada? And again, um, where I was looking, I was looking mainly in Ontario because I had hoped to stay in the Toronto area, mm. um, and right now. It's not, um, it's not a very teaching friendly <laughs> time to enter the profession. Like there's, it's very, very competitive. At the time I was thinking if I was gonna move out of the Toronto area and have to have an apartment like four or five, six hours away, might as well be a four, five, six hour flight. Like I'm not too worried. Like London would be a cool place to live. Like just as good as somewhere else, elsewhere in Canada. And so I was still looking for the adventure and for you know the other, the other overseas sort of experiences, and then England, London, it sounds pretty spectacular to be able to go there, not just for you know a week or so, but to be able to go and spend a year or more. And the visa, the working visa that I applied for was a two-year working visa, and so it's like, oh, well, you know, two years, that could go excellent as well. And I, I ended up only staying one <laughs> again, but it was, it was nice to have that option. You went to the class of float? West Island College International. What's that? Did you uh, did you did you teach in a floating school and sailed around the um, world? Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's um, so Class of Float is a school based out of Nova Scotia, and it well West Island College International is a school based out of Nova Scotia in Calgary, and Class of Float is the Nova Scotia um, campus of it, which charters. A tall ship, and then grade 11 or grade 12 students will, or grade 11 and grade 12 students will be on a tall ship um, as it makes three ocean crossings in nine months, visiting 23 countries. Wow, that's amazing! And who said like being a teacher is not a glamorous job? <laughs> oh well, <laughs> it wasn't so glamorous if you're all you know rocking back and forth, like banging into sides of your bunks in a storm on a tall ship, which is really crickety, and there's you know maybe three showers you can take once every couple days and you know, you're eating the same meals often because you know it is a sailing ship it's not a cruise ship and you're um, the kids are doing uh, work during the day for the ship getting sail training so they're they're hauling on lines for um, lifting and raising the sails to 
climbing the rigging and doing all sorts. So they're getting sail training with professional sailors. And then the teacher's job is to make them get their homework done instead of looking at the dolphins. And so sometimes it was a little frustrating. <laughs> like, stop, get your homework done. You need to do this now. You can go play in the water later. It's like, no, you can't. But, you know, at the time. It, so it was fun, but it was definitely um, a very difficult year to try to get these young people through the curriculum so that they could yeah. graduate and finish while they were in the midst of, of an epic experience like that. So uh, how did you get from the UK to, uh, to this to the class afloat? My mom has also been teaching and she usually keeps an eye out for job postings for me and every once in a while she'll like send someone along and be like, oh, you should check this one out or this one. And so she had seen the job posting for class afloat and wasn't sure if she should send it to me because she thought that if she did, it would definitely be something I would want to do. And she wasn't sure if she wanted me to be on a ship in the middle of the ocean for nine months with who knows who. And yeah. so she's like, I don't want to get on this dangerous like, situation, but whatever. She had sent it along. I applied, interviewed, and was hired. So I had that job lined up before I left the UK. Thanks, so, Mom. Yeah, definitely. And then some. I think she was definitely anxious for me, but I'm very happy that she did pass it along. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so did you, did you run the classes on your own, uh, on, on board the ship? Yeah, so there were six teaching staff and then 12 maritime crew. And so the six teaching staff spread out the subjects. And so I was socials. Um, and so I was history and economics and, so sorry, Canadian history, world history, um, economics, sociology, and... Another. But yeah, so I had classes, but again, the class sizes were very small because there's only 40 students in total. So my biggest class, I think, was 15, and my smallest class was three. So right. it was nice to have my own class, and it was definitely like nice little baby steps into teaching. Um, but it was high school curriculum in grade 11, grade 12, and so um, it was a chance to sort of get into into what I wanted to teach, and at the same time, in a nice small like small group setting. So that was lovely. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, any any kind of uh, dramatic or funny stories that happened on board? Because I don't know, I'm just like imagining what's. I can't imagine what it'd be like to teach on board a a, a ship. Oh goodness, there there were there were a lot. The parts that I remember or that I really enjoyed were looking back on them after they happened. Because again, that's forty young people and about another like fifteen twenty adults who are all living in the same place. The shared time outside of class was really important. Like uh, one of the teachers was a phenomenal dancer. And so on deck started to teach us the, the routine for uh, Michael Jackson's thriller. And so here we are like after dinner time, like on deck and as, as, the, as the ship is rolling. So like we're stumbling as well. And so it was a lot of fun. I to try to do yoga as the sun's rising and you see the water just around you. Um, on all sides. And again, you can't balance for beams because, again, the ship's always rolling a bit. But it's also difficult sometimes because, you know, kids are falling asleep in your class because they've been up on, um, like, third or fourth watch at night standing, watch where they are supposed to be, like, running the ship. And then they show up and they're falling asleep and their homework's not done. And, they're, and yet you have to try to maintain those, those lines, those guidelines. And so it's... It's difficult too when you're trying to um, be that 
a classroom management figure, and yet you still have to then eat lunch with them and breakfast with them and dinner with them, and you, know, you mm. see them in your free time. So the small, like the small setting of the community, like you can't really, if you're having a problem with somebody, they're never more than 60 feet away from you in any direction. So you're going to run into them. So you sort of have to sort out and deal with everything right away. Otherwise, it starts to build really quickly and can get uncomfortable fast. I think yeah, yeah. things for me was seeing the young people in their relationship drama that happened. It, it happened. <laughs> and yet it was it was fun to watch and it was hard to watch and you ached for them and yet at the same time you're like, Oh gosh, it's better to have it sorted out sooner than later, so let's just <laughs> drama on the high seas, the love boat, and it's like, you know, for all they know, you know, that could be their love, their life, and that's the only woman on left on earth for them, or the only boy on earth. It's the only person on that ship, <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, no, so it was, there's definitely a lot of fun, but also, like, a lot of ups and downs, and I think just, again, the containment of it got stressful after a while, but it's nice, too, because we were visiting so many different places, and it was, um, Nice to see the young people also sort of rise above or rise up to challenging situations. Um, we visited Morocco and Senegal. Wow. Um, but we were also in, like, we went to Brittany in France and we're in Edinburgh and um, in Scotland and in uh, Cartagena in, Col in Colombia, right? So we were, like, all over the place. And to see them, like, become more than what they were. Wow. Okay. And then from, from then on, you moved on to your current position uh, at the Catholic Independent Schools, the Diocese yeah. of Prince George. Yeah. Like, once again, the question about the JET program and like, how did that help? Um, I think it did because the, or at least the JET program to coming to Prince Rupert, like Prince Rupert is sort of Canadian Anaka in a lot of ways. So, uh, <laughs> Interesting analogy. Yeah. Not so much. It's a, it's a, it's a town of uh, 13,000 and it's a port town and mm. um, there's a lot of, of industry which is fantastic but from where I was living or where I grew up in Toronto of uh, 6 million um, I think one of the questions I had when I was being interviewed was like how would I manage living in a smaller space mm. like you know two hours away from the next city you know four hours from four to eight hours from, you know, another larger city. And it was nice to be able to say, oh, well, in Jet, I was living in a, not in a small city, quite that small, Sapporo is still two million, but it was definitely small in the way that it was a lot of nothing nearby. And I definitely was out camping and in the countryside and got to be able to mm. go hiking. And if I'd come straight from Toronto to Prince Rupert, I probably would have found the adjustment harder. Um, mm. But having been in Japan um, and getting a sense of what the smaller community is, even being on ship before that with very small communities, I think <laughs> yeah. all of those stages have helped. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So you obviously enjoy where you are and then the experience. Yeah, always looking for new experiences, new challenges, new adventures. Um, I have been here now two years, so it's the first time in a while I've had <laughs> more than one year at a time since I've started my third year, and, and I'm probably going to be around for a while. I am enjoying it. and. I mean, that's part of Canadian and Naka, that's still in Canada. So uh, a lot of similarities, even though it's real different from Toronto. True. So what's next then? Uh, so you've been in the job that you, where you've been the longest at. You said you've been in for like the <laughs> third year. No, <laughs> no pressure, just wondering, that's all. 
I've had, like last year I had my birthday in the same place for two years in a row. It was pretty exciting. I'm like, whoa, this hasn't happened like, for like <laughs> five, six years. This is crazy. Yeah, so, yeah. Definitely, uh, I've been be around for a while. I'm not sure exactly what's next. I still haven't gone back to school for a master's. And so that might be in the works. Um, looking at other options beyond teaching. Because while I enjoy it, I still, I'm not sure if it's for me anymore. I feel like the excitement and the enthusiasm for the classroom is starting to wane, I guess, also because it's taken me so long <laughs> to find yep. a classroom setting that I like. That you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to be around for a while. I'm not quite sure exactly in what capacity. And I am enjoying this. We'll see. I'm not really sure. And every year, it's just, you know, reevaluate every year and then see what other options open up as you go. <laughs> What do you think? Anna certainly proves that being a teacher can provide a lot of opportunities for traveling, experiencing life, and providing a whole set of really enjoyable challenges. If you're thinking of a career in education and wondering if JET would look good on your CV, well, there are pros and cons to it, as Anna has pointed out. As she's mentioned, covering an insane amount of schools didn't really help to develop that teaching experience that she was after. In contrast, I had at the most four schools in my workload, which did allow me plenty of time to develop lesson plans and class exercises. And uh, to my surprise, we're actually used as grading material by some of my JTEs, and, and you can imagine how that made me feel. There are plenty of JETs who were teachers before they went to Japan, but I've known those who thought that being an ALT again was a step backwards career-wise. But on the flip side, I have friends who became teachers because of their experience on JET, and they believe that JET gave them the confidence and experience to completely blitz their university studies and practical coursework. So hey, we're on iTunes and SoundCloud. Check out the footnotes to this episode for more details on how to access other episodes and please subscribe. Talk to you next time. Bye bye.